Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday february 6th 2009 this is going to be episode 111 we're coming to you from beautiful studio b in coriopolis pennsylvania or beautiful coriopolis pennsylvania a little a little snowy but uh temperatures are rising my name is joe hughes or radio joe here with me in the studio at the controls is the wingman chris boisel Good afternoon, Joe. Good day, Chris. Uh, my co-host Cliff Slotnick's on the road this week, but uh, we've got a power-packed show. Our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, is back with us, and uh, we'll bring Dieter in at halftime. Today's segments include the microband trivia question. We've got Bob Baker, ASHRAE Distinguished Lecturer. I like that. Also, uh, BBJ Environmentals CEO. And then we're going to have IE Connections, What's News with Glenn Fellman. Glenn's back with us this week uh, at halftime. Then we'll go back with Bob for the second half of the show. And then we'll come back for the roundup at the end. We've been uh, updating and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio site every week at www.iaqradio.com. Before we get started, we got to thank those sponsors. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising informational available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right, please do that. The uh, sponsors have been great, and they're all back with us this year, and it's great to have them all back, and uh, one of them will be with us here at halftime. To contact the show, you call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. All you have to do now is press the number 1 to join the show. Or you can download the show by going to our website, iaqradio.com. Follow the link on there that says go to the show. Or, of course, you can always download us from iTunes. Don't forget, you can also get your IICRC continuing education credits or IAQ Council renewal credits by emailing me and requesting a quiz. That program's actually going really well. 
Email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We also like to get requests or suggestions. You can email me or Cliff Zlotnick at unsmoke.com. Our email addresses are also on the homepage of IAQ Radio. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Since the Z-Man's not here, I'm going to handle the microband trivia question this week. Okay, we had a really uh, quick, correct answer last week submitted for the trivia question. Uh, congratulations to Will from RestoreX, Border States, Sydney, Montana. He had the correct question, or correct answer, and we'll send him out his prize. Don't forget you can win those nice prizes from Microband by answering the trivia question. Several uh, trivia questions remain available or unanswered on the iaqradio.com website. Just go to the trivia link and uh, answer those questions, get your prizes. You can also email us here at uh, my address or during the show via the TalkShoe website to answer the questions. That's how Will got it last week. The microband trivia question for Friday, February 6th, 2009, comes from the field of microbiology. The question is, name both the approximate size and age of the world's largest and oldest living organism. Okay, so one more time. Name the approximate size and age of the world's largest and oldest living organism. Today's guest is Mr. Bob Baker. Bob is the CEO of, I hope the acronym police are at the donut shop for a minute here, Chris, of ACPBBJ LTD Limited, which is a limited partnership operating the BBJ Environmental Solutions Group. BBJ manufactures and distributes a range of products used in indoor contamination control and maintenance of HVAC systems. Bob is considered an authority on heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, maintenance, and related indoor environmental issues. BBJ clients include building owners, their staffs, and the service and product suppliers who serve them. He is a past president of the Indoor Air Quality Association, a member of the American Society of Heating, Refrigeration, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers, ASHRAE. He's on their standards committee, several technical committees, and is also an ASHRAE distinguished lecturer. Bob uh, is an enthusiastic contributor to the industry through several organizations. He's on the board of directors of the Indoor Air Quality Association. He sits on two ASTM standards committees, four ASHRAE standards committees, and it goes on and on. I, I want to get into that a little bit more later. He also, with the ASHRAE committees, he also served um, on the S520 standard committee as both a chapter chair and chair of the entire consensus body. And uh, Bob has also been working with the ACA, the Air Conditioning Contractors of America. He also did work with the National Air Duct Cleaners Association. So Bob's got a little of that volunteeriticism that uh, some people speak of. Ash, uh, last but not least, he was given the ASHRAE Distinguished Service Award in June of 2007. Let's welcome Bob. Expert. I want to be an expert. So I'm going to graduate school. 
be an expert so everyone will think I'm smart and cool expert I want to be an expert so I'll jump through all them all right hello Bob do we have you on the line uh, Joe, I thought that was very good recovery. You almost got caught by the acronym, please. You said ACA and then corrected yourself real quick. I'm very proud of you. Well, thank you, Bob. Um, I alerted them that we have a lot of acronyms here today, but we're going to do our best to uh, spell them out for the listeners. How are things in Tampa today, Bob? Well, I'm looking at my screen that says it's 49 degrees outside, which for us in Tampa is incredibly cold. But I understand I'm going to be about 100 degrees colder than that next week. I'm going up to Manitoba and Regina in Canada, and uh, they've told me that I'm not likely to survive that trip. Oh, no. <laughs> it's got to be cold up that far. Anyway, Bob, let's, let's talk a little bit real quick about BBJ Environmental, now called ACP BBJ LTD, and again, I hope the acronym police aren't on me. Maybe you can help to explain what that's all about. Well, um, ACP stands for America's Capital Partners. We'll talk a little more about that in a second. Um, BBJ uh, had an investor group who approached us in 2002, and they felt like they could make a huge difference in the size of BBJs. Specifically, they wanted to uh, increase distribution in Asia and felt like they had uh, the way to do that. So they took over and I sort of took on the role as an ambassador for the company and a consultant to the company. And another gentleman moved in as a CEO. And they indeed opened offices in Bangkok and Hong Kong, uh, which proved to be very expensive. And uh, I certainly enjoyed a lot of trips over there, meeting a lot of new people and, and uh, uh, talking about indoor air quality and the PBJ products. But it proved to be a uh, poorly held decision because it was expensive and it's a time where the real embracing of indoor environmental quality has not yet happened in Asia. It's happening in, to some extent, but unfortunately not in the areas that they chose to concentrate on. <laughs> uh, at the end of 2007, they found themselves out of money and in difficulty and uh, put BBJ's uh, operating company into Chapter 11 and were unable to bring it out with a reorganization. So I joined with America's Capital Partners, which is a real estate investment trust headquartered in Miami, Florida, and own, uh, a company that owns a lot of commercial properties up and down the East Coast. Uh, and we purchased the assets of BBJ from the bankruptcy court and proceeded to reorganize it. We've uh, been in the process of that since May, and it's going quite well. And uh, we're back concentrating on the U.S. and mainly the southeastern United States, which has always been our strong foundation. And uh, 
are enjoying good relations with our customers, and we're back. Uh, the reports of our demise were, uh, as Mark Twain would have said, uh, greatly enhanced and prematurely reported. <laughs> well, that's great news, Bob. I know that uh, you know I was with you a bit during that period, and it had to be a little rough, but I'm glad to hear things are going better, and it's great to have you back on the show. Could you just remind listeners what BBJ Environmental's primary focus in with respect to the products that you manufacture? Yeah, we really have two focuses, Joe. We have a set of products, and that was, those were our original products, which were which are tailored towards preventing contamination, both microbial contamination, our particulate contamination, in HVAC systems and indoor environments. And they both we have products that clean up existing contamination and ones that inhibit future growth. Then we have another set of products that's tailored towards the restoration industry, and these are disinfectant cleaner products and, again, growth inhibition products for building interiors. Okay. And uh, we market mainly through uh, distributors in, in the uh, HVAC market through uh, parts distributors such as Train Parts, Johnstone Supply, uh, Gulf Refrigeration, Tropic Supply, those type of distributors, and uh, other ones. I, I wanted to get that out because, you know, we're going to talk a lot about uh, HVAC, mechanical systems, uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And one of your, I know one of your big accomplishments here in the last couple of years was the ASHRAE 180 standard, uh, which was finalized now, and I understand that... Uh, You've been having meetings with ASHRAE. You just came back from the AHR Expo. Last time you were here on IAQ Radio, it was just about done or maybe completed. Uh, can you tell us where the standard is now and why you think it is such an important standard? I guess first maybe we'll tell the listeners what the standard name is. Standard is uh, Standard Practice for Inspection and Maintenance of commercial building HVAC systems. And basically the standard concentrates on everything except single family homes. We're, we're looking at uh, assuring that HVAC systems are maintained in buildings where the general public may be at risk or uh, at risk of either discomfort or something worse and they have no control over it to make sure that they're, they're protected. Uh, the standard uh, is, is a minimum standard and unlike many ASHRAE standards, applies to both existing buildings as well as those that are newly constructed. Most ASHRAE standards deal with design of new buildings, but 180 is very important in that it, it applies to the existing building stock. And that's a big change for ASHRAE, I guess, the going into the maintenance of the existing it building is. stock? Okay. When I first proposed such a standard in the early 90s, the mid-90s, uh, everybody just looked at me as some kind of crackpot and shook their head. <laughs> but it has now become an important part of ASHRAE's uh, current objective. The, the, it is actually the theme of the current president, Bill Harrison, is maintained to sustain. 
Maintain to sustain. All right. Well, Bob, I, I can't. I got you here, and while I've got you, there was a recent incident that's been getting a lot of press, and it's actually uh, from your part of the country there. There was, uh, you know, talking about maintenance, I guess, there's apparently a big lawsuit and quite a bit of attention from the media about one of the local hof uh, hospitals in Tampa. Apparently three very young um, patients developed fungal infections, and there's a, it's been alleged that that was the result of construction activities going on in the hospital. And I know you've had some experience with this in the past in your previous position uh, back at, I think it was, uh, let's see, or is that the MD Anderson Cancer Center? Can you talk to us a little bit about what's going on there and, and does it relate at all to the issues you've had in the past? Yeah, actually, this is the very issue, Joe, that got me interested in the indoor environmental field. Uh, at MD Anderson, I was vice president of administrative services and responsible for a whole raft of things ranging from telecommunications to student and faculty housing, security, and included in that was the design, operation, and maintenance of all the buildings and properties. And MD Anderson uh, had about uh, 1,500 acres of campus on, on four campuses, a couple of them in Houston, a couple of them near Austin, Texas, and just a huge amount of building stock. I think today that institution has about six and a half million square foot of air-conditioned space in its buildings. Wow. And we had an incident in the late 80s where four patients died over a two-year period, or about a nine-month period, pardon me. And in all four cases, it was linked to Aspergillus niger, and we found the source of that contamination in an air handler. Hmm. And that made me focus on indoor air quality and specifically the relationship between HVAC systems and the indoor environment. And I became very passionate about it. Uh, I left what was a very comfortable and rewarding job to start BBJ and develop some technologies that we have uh, concentrated on commercializing over the years and also started the work that has led to the 180 standard because I passionately believe that a lot of problems that we contend with in our field result from or are contributed by lack of maintenance of HVAC systems. And, and most basically, they're just not kept clean in many cases. You know, I found that interesting in the um, news releases that have come out about this particular situation at the hospital in Tampa, and they, they seem to be tr focusing on the construction activity that was going on in and around these patient rooms, and I, I couldn't help... If you look a little deeper at it, Joe, you'll notice that they said that uh, some of the reports said uncontrolled airflow. Now, I haven't been intimately involved with that situation. I do know the hospital. The hospital has an impeccable reputation. But again, uh, the people in the hospital have reported that they were using construction barriers, they were controlling the airflow, but some of the allegations have centered around the airflow was not possibly controlled as well as it could have been. Uh, 
we, we really don't know. The facts, of course, will come out when these cases are tried in court. But uh, uh, this is really not an unusual situation. Uh, Aspergillus specifically is a very, very common fungi. Uh, it's, it's abundant in the outdoor environment, and it gets carried into the indoors. And when you do have construction, it disturbs it. So you've got to control the air movement when you're doing that. But there are a lot of citations if you start looking. One of the most well-documented is by Lutz and his associates. They're at the Health Science Center in San Antonio, University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. And they published an article in Clinical Infectious Diseases, September 2003, dealing with a very, very similar outbreak. Several patients, and this was quite a number of patients, uh, died in uh, over a period of two years, again related to aspergillus, and these were people with uh, compromised immune systems. So these types of infections, most of us that are in good health generally can fight them off, but children, older people, cancer patients, are very, very vulnerable, and the outcome usually is not good. Uh, so, the, and, and this, is, this really gets to the fundamental thing that we're trying to do with 180 right now. We went through, a, a standard 180 uh, was finished uh, almost two years ago. We had an appeal, which is a very common thing, and that was heard in Salt Lake City in, in June of 2008. And then it was published in September of 2008. Now we're looking at, okay, what are we going to do with it? And a lot of the discussion that we had in Chicago at our various meetings was how do we get it into the codes? Now, uh, there is a mention in the International Mechanical Code in Section 102, Part 3, of maintenance. And it, it says mechanical systems, both existing and new, and parts thereof, shall be maintained in proper operating condition in accordance with original, original design and in a safe and sanitary condition. Well, that's all good and well, but there's nothing specific to set it to. And we made a proposal to the IMC uh, in April of 2008 that 180 be cited in that section. And the code officials came back and said, well, number one, the standard hasn't been published yet, so we can't really cite it. And number two, we don't know how we would enforce it. And so these were our discussions in Chicago. How do you enforce such how do you enforce maintenance under the code structure? Because in most cases, the code authority's uh, authority ends at the time the building gets a certificate of occupancy. Well, up until that point, maintenance isn't an issue. After the building is occupied is when maintenance comes into play. And during those discussions, I and several others pointed out that well, actually, there are precedents here. Uh, fire suppression systems and fire alarm systems are absolutely, in for, their maintenance is enforced ongoingly. Uh, every commercial building in almost every jurisdiction 
has to undergo an inspection of those system once a year. They have to pay a fee for that inspection, and they have to prove that they're maintaining them in a satisfactory condition. Another building system that is is heavily regulated and regular maintenance is uh, required and inspections are held are elevators and escalators, mm-hmm. systems. And uh, there were times when these systems weren't enforced. Now, one can argue that, uh, well, those are justified because of life safety reasons. Well, I will hold that the patients at St. Joseph's Hospital, the patients at MD Anderson, and the patients at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio, uh, although it wasn't as spectacular as a fire, it didn't get on the evening news, and it may not have gotten as many headlines as a big fire or an elevator failing. The people who were at effect are just as dead as somebody who dies in a fire. So I think there are serious life safety codes. And in addition, in HVAC systems, there are extreme energy efficiency considerations. And at this point in time, when we're scrapping for every ounce of energy and every bit of saving we can, uh, it is justified on the basis of energy efficiency alone to mandate regular maintenance. Okay. Well, Bob, I think also that, you know, one of the reasons I like to spend the time we do on, you know, we had you on before the uh, standard was finalized, and now we're spending some more time on it now. Do you see this as an opportunity for people in the indoor environmental quality arena to, you know, help with their business? Oh, I think it's a huge opportunity. You know, uh, a lot of times people in the indoor environmental community tend to have difficulty marketing their services because they think of it in terms of of only disaster-related. You know, I go go in when somebody's got problems and and they really don't like to spend that money, they have to spend that money. I think when we look at HVAC system maintenance, and, and not just from a mechanical standpoint, from the contractors who work on the technical aspects of equipment, but people in the uh, hygiene business, people whose specialty and whose skill set is around keeping things clean and cleaning things up, I think there's a huge opportunity because a lot of what we've put into Standard 180 deals with hygiene of the system because when we did our research, we found that a huge number of problems with systems come from them being neglected from a cleaning standpoint. This is, these, these pieces of equipment are quite rugged, and they don't break down all that often. However, if they're not kept clean, they do not work well, and their efficiency deteriorates very rapidly, and, of course, risk from the spread of aspergillus, uh, bacteria, these kinds, and other things goes way up. And even if the result isn't as dramatic as one or more deaths, uh, it's, it's dramatic in terms of just human quality of life. I, I wonder how much of the respiratory uh, illness that people in offices 
spread from each other and experience and how much of the absenteeism in schools and offices is due to contamination that comes out of HVAC systems. I, I think it's rather significant and it's very difficult to investigate, so we don't have good studies there. But I think anecdotally, it's huge. So there are opportunities there for the people in the field for new pieces of business where they can really contribute to the efficiency of America and its productivity and wellness. And this seems like it would be a perfect time for that, huh, Bob? We've got a... Great time. And a time when people are sitting here and some of their traditional revenue sources are been harmed by the current economic conditions, this provides an opportunity to go in and say to a customer, look, I can help you with your economic problems because I can save electricity. Now, if you can get it into code and uh, then maybe get some tax credits and all that uh, other stuff, we'd really have a booming thing going here. Well, uh, ASHRAE has placed this whole issue very high on its public advocacy calendar, and that means the ASHRAE Washington office is waving this in front of the new Obama administration and and Congress and saying, here are opportunities that you need to take a serious look at. So it's it's we're we're doing some rather extreme things to make sure it's on our national agenda. Let me while we're talking about this, I just uh, wanted to quickly mention this this standard is um, designed to give people more of a, a, a f- I guess it's a uh, checklist essentially for when to check, what to check, etc. And later in the show, I want to talk more about cleaning uh, of these systems. And uh, But before we do, right. Bob, I want to, uh, we're going to take a break in a moment, but I want to ask a question that was texted in. And actually, what I'll do is, uh, this is something we wanted to talk about anyway. If you could go back to that one, Chris. Um, the question is, which ASHRAE standard discusses recommended indoor temperature and relative humidity ranges? And uh, I can answer that one. That's ASHRAE 55. Uh, but my question, excuse me? It certainly is. Okay. My question for you is, um, what types of changes are being discussed about ASHRAE 55, if any? Well, uh, ASHRAE 55 is an interesting standard because it is indoor comfort. That's what ASHRAE 55 uh, represents. And a lot of people have been interested in uh, something about comfort being put into code. Well, the difficulty around comfort is that it's very subjective. Uh, I might be very comfortable and in my office and somebody sitting very close to me might be too hot and another person may be too cold. Or I may perceive that it's too dry and somebody else may perceive it's too humid. Well, that gets into our individual physiology, our individual uh, clothing preferences, what we're wearing. Uh, It gets into uh, interactions with light and sound and a lot of other things. Uh, 
Dr. Fanger, Ole Fanger, before he died, did an awful lot of groundbreaking research in this, and a lot of his findings are incorporated into Standard 55. Well, the code authorities have come to ASHRAE and said, you know, we would like to put things into codes about uh, comfort. What, what temperature is right under different conditions and what humidity is right. And we don't find that clear guidance in Standard 55, and that's absolutely correct. You know, a lot of people have criticized the 55 committee because they don't give you simplistic, easy-to-do objective numbers that you, get, you can put into a code. You get a real wide and range, the, right? Yeah, the 55 committee comes back and says, we're sorry, but it isn't that simple. You're trying to simplify something that really isn't that simple. So one of the things that's being talked about is maybe a new standard or guideline that would deal with set points. Well, uh, if it really is complex, and I do believe it is, uh, that that really isn't going to be possible or it's going to be very complex and, and there's a lot of problems connected with that. So this is something that's going to be uh, debated uh, very hotly in the near future and probably for some time to come. Uh, I guess I'm going to get closer to this debate because in Chicago I was asked if I would become the Standards Committee liaison to the 55 committee uh, and if if they decide to make that appointment I would as of July 1st uh, I would have to learn a whole lot about 55 and get quite involved in it you so know. Uh, uh, that'll be a very interesting all right well listen I've got some other ASHRAE standards and in particular I want to talk about those that affect green buildings since that is the you know the big issue right now in the leads program leadership and energy and environmental design but before we do we're going to take our halftime break and bring in glenn fellman with the ie connections what's news Hello, leader of men and women, Glenn Fellman. Good day. Good day, Joe. How are you? Good, thanks. What's news? Oh, first of all, I want to say it's great to hear uh, Bob Baker's voice. I think I've met him once or twice, but I can't recall when. <laughs> good to know him. Uh, being facetious there, of course, Bob's a good friend. I got a couple great news stories I want to give you today. These are coming out of the February edition of Indoor Environment Connections. That issue of the newspaper will be reaching people's mailboxes next week, and it will be posted online uh, next Monday or Tuesday as well at ieconnections.com. Story number one is one that I've delivered, I think, every year for about the last six years, but this is the first time I'm delivering it where it has uh, some interesting promise. Once again, Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives plan to push for a bill that would enlist the federal government in the fight against mold contamination. 
This is according to sources we spoke to in the office of Representative John Conyers, Democrat from Michigan. Hmm. The bill would direct federal agencies to devote new resources to studying and fighting mold and require the development of new industry standards. Conyers, you have to remember, is now one of the most senior and influential members of the House's expanded Democratic majority. Now, this bill was introduced in the last Congress uh, but never came to a vote. Uh, Conyers says he believes the bill has a much better chance this time around because there are now more Democrats in the House, and President Obama is much more likely to approve a bill like this than President Bush ever was. Hmm. It's titled the United States Toxic Mold Safety and Protection Act. It's nicknamed the Molina Act after the daughter of a Conyers staffer who was uh, brought the issue to the attention of the uh, representative and was real sick from some mold contamination. And, again, it's been introduced each year uh, since 2002. Do you know if there's been any changes uh, since last year's introduction, Glenn? Uh, they're still working on it. A, a Conyers aide told us that uh, they couldn't even say exactly when the bill would be introduced for this session because they are making changes, but he predicted it would be introduced sometime before the end of April. Interesting. Okay. All right. Story number two is one that made the front page of the Washington Post this weekend. And I want to go on record as saying we had it uh, typeset and sent to our printer a week before that. But unfortunately, we're a monthly and they're a daily, so they beat us on the story. Uh-huh. Headline reads, Virginia court awards $4.75 million to toxic mold case. A Virginia family has been awarded one, excuse me, $4.75 million in damages following its claim that toxic mold in their home caused neurotoxicity that led to severe migraine headaches and dizziness. The construction firm that was found liable for the damages, called the Dries Company, uh, of course said it would appeal the verdict. The jury in the case found the defendant guilty of negligence, construction fraud, and violations of the Virginia Consumer Protection Act. Uh, The verdict is definitely one of the largest ever in a toxic mold case. Uh, the closest one in recent memory was last year when an Ohio court awarded $2.2 million to a family on mold claim. Interesting. In Virginia, the family is uh, Paul and Wendy Mang. They purchased their new home from the Dries Company in November of 2005 for $900,000. They say during the construction they noticed the house wasn't being protected from the weather, which allowed water to saturate. And I think we kind of all know what happens from there. The jury returned verdicts in favor of Wendy Mang for uh, $2.2 million for negligence in favor of Paul Meng for a half million dollars for negligence and in favor of both the Mengs for two other counts, uh, $1.4 million for construction fraud and another half million for violating the state, state's consumer protection laws. That's, that's, like inter- that. that's interesting, Glenn. You may recall we had David Governo on not long after the uh, case in Ohio went through that Consumer Protection Act, mm-hmm. uh, their, their local state act, and you know, we kind of asked him, does it look like that might become a trend? And he said, well, you know, you never know, and it looks like maybe it is. Well, just as a side note, I think it is, and uh, one of your former guests, Dr. Richie Schumacher, was uh, one of the uh, uh, expert witnesses in this Virginia case uh, you know, on behalf of the plaintiffs. Interesting. Interesting. By the way, we had a, a quick text message. Could you repeat the name of the bill um, that Representative Conyers is going to introduce? Sure. It's the United States Toxic Mold Safety and Protection Act. 
Okay. They had to get that toxic mold in there, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, they we'll, we'll, it'll get a bill it'll get a bill number when it's filed. It does not have a bill number currently. All right. We'll keep you posted here on IAQ Radio. Do you have another one for us? I got two little ones and um I, I, I brought these in, actually three little ones. I brought these two of them in because I, I, I think they dovetail well into conversations with Bob Baker. Right. Real quick, I just wanted to give a little shout-out to the International Kitchen Exhaust Cleaning Association, uh, uh, an association that I've worked with for many years. They were accredited by the American National Standards Institute as a standards development organization on January 30th and they are getting ready to start creating the first industry consensus standards for commercial kitchen exhaust grease hood and grease duct cleaning. Just thought I'd mention that one. You can learn right. more at ikeca.org. Okay. Now, next story, and one that I think will be interesting for maybe to get some commentary from Bob. Did you know that the increase of autism by the age of six years old in California has increased from Fewer than 9 out of 10,000 children who were born in 1990 to more than 44 in 10,000 children who were born 10 years later in 2000. Mm. That's a pretty huge increase in the amount of autism. And so researchers at the University of California, Davis, decided to see if they could find out why. And um, they published uh, an article in the January 2009 issue of the journal Epidemiology, and the study suggests that the seven to eight fold increase in the number of children born in California with autism can't be explained by either changes in how the condition is diagnosed or counted, and the trends, you know, uh, they show some, no signs of abating. So the uh, conclusions they've drawn is that it's, and this is a quote, it's time to start looking at the environmental culprits responsible for the remarkable increase in the rate of autism in California, said UC Davis Institute researcher. Herba Hertz Picota. She's a professor of environmental and occupational health and epidemiology and an internationally respected autism researcher. She went on to say, we're looking at the possible effects of metal, pesticides, and infectious agents on neurodevelopment. And she found, uh, concludes and says, if we're going to stop the rise of autism in California, we need to keep these studies going and expand them to the extent possible. You read the, the complete study, they do get into a lot of issues like chemicals used in the household, microbial contamination, things like that, as, as potential uh, uh, issues bringing about this raise in autism. What's Last that? story, and I'll keep it short. Again, it might be one we want to talk to Bob about. This is big news, uh, and I'm not sure how many of your readers are aware of it. The National Green Building Standard, known as ICC 7000, was approved January 29th as an American national standard. This is a standard created by the International Code Council and the National Association of Home Builders. The new standards provide guidance for safe and sustainable building practices for residential, I'll stress that, residential construction, including both new and renovated single-family to high-rise residential buildings. It is the first and only green standard that is consistent and coordinated with the codes, Code Council's family of I-codes and standards. Hmm. Uh, it was created with input from several thousand stakeholders, ranging from code officials and other building professionals to the entire spectrum of the green building community, according to ICC officials. And the standard also promotes homeowner education for maintenance and operation of green residential buildings to ensure long-term benefits. You can learn more about that at www.iccsafe, 
dot org slash seven hundred that's seven zero zero and uh, I know that ASHRAE uh, had sort of uh, had to regroup on an effort with USGBC and some other stakeholders on a uh, green building standard and so I was kind of wondering from Bob and maybe you can dovetail into it how this news affects ASHRAE or uh, if it affects ASHRAE and what it's going to be doing down the road for green building standards. Sounds good, Glenn. Why don't we do this? Uh, can you stay with us here? We'll oh, yeah, I'd love to. Let's just go. Um, I'm going to open up the mics for Bob, and let's get uh, Dr. Dieter in here. And um, first, Bob, let's see. Do you have any comment on what Glenn just uh, announced there? Well, he announced several things, and I don't know where to start. Let's start with the most recent. Uh, as Glenn mentioned, ASHRAE had to do a restart of the Standard 189 project. Uh, standard 189 is a high-performance green building design standard for commercial buildings. Uh, it is an ambitious project because it's a lot easier to uh, say, I, I want green buildings than it is to articulate what that means. How do you get there? And uh, the 189 committee had been groping with this problem for some time, and uh, there were complaints that the 189 committee didn't include all the perspectives that needed to be brought to this problem. There were complaints that a lot of people weren't being heard on input, and I think generally there was a lot of frustration with the process. And so we, being the ASHRAE Standards Committee, had some discussions about this last fall, and we came to a very difficult decision, but I think it was the right decision. And that was that we, we disbanded the 189 committee and reconstituted it, went out with a new call for members so that we could cast a wider net make sure that we had all the possible stakeholders into this process, and then reconstituted the committee, and that committee, the new committee, had its first meeting during the Chicago meeting two weeks ago. Uh, that went was very, very successful. The former ASHRAE president, Kent Peterson, is chairing that committee, and uh, a lot of the original committee members plus new ones are on, and it's our belief that they will very, very shortly move to a, uh, a proposed draft for public review. And that's important. We need to get it out and get all the comments from the public in and, and move toward this. It's, it's very important that we define in, in engineering terms what a green building is. Because when we look at green, Everybody looks at it in a different way, and we all want to be green, but we're not always sure what that is. This is going to take some time, though, huh, Bob? I think we may see some something out of the 189 committee quicker than you would expect. Oh, that's good news. A lot of the work has already been done, so I think we'll uh, possibly before the end of 2009 we'll see something out for public review. Let's go to Glenn, and then I want to bring uh, Dr. Dieter in for a moment. I just had a quick question, Bob. Obviously, the International Code Council and the National Association of Home Builders, those are pretty heavy hitters. 
Are they oh, yeah. invo- are they involved in the 189 189 project? Yes. Uh, the uh, actually Ashray has two partners on the 189 project: the U.S. Green Building Council and the Illumination Society of America. I think is the right name. Uh, I won't use the acronym. I don't want to be attacked. Uh, but. Uh, there are three partners on the 189 project, so the Green Building Council is is very very strongly involved. And uh, again, ASHRAE tends to develop commercial standards uh, prior to home standards uh, because uh, the public at large is exposed to commercial buildings, and that's the first thing that we we need to assure consistency. Great. Let's uh, let's go to Dr. Dieter, our technical director. Uh, hello, Dieter. Oh, there's his music. <coughs> Good day, Dieter. Yeah, I still like that Beethoven. <laughs> Any questions or comments, Dieter? Uh, well, yeah, I I, I think uh, well, it's it, it basically two comments. One on maintenance, and it is amazing. I uh, I've been doing. Uh, yeah, plant inspections and ventilation inspections for 40 years now. And I never saw any good records of good maintenance in any one of those. It's a lousy job. Nobody likes to do it. And then Joe once in a while goes in and does something and nobody checks it. And I found out that you actually can save a ton of money if you do good uh, uh, maintenance. A stupid example, you can save a lot on your car. You know, don't buy an oil filter, don't change the oil. I'm pretty sure a car will run on oil, one oil filter for 10,000 miles. I'm pretty sure it will do it. Now, is that a wise thing to do? I don't think so. <laughs> and I have seen that I saved my clients a lot of money whenever they started doing good maintenance and keeping records of it and 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 staying above it. It was tough to convince old um, plant managers, plant supervisors, you know, they only look at the bottom line. And the less maintenance, the more money they made. And uh, that just, yeah, in the long run, it just doesn't work out at all. And, and Dieter, you're talking about both immediate financial and and i know you do a lot with expert witness testimony and that you know when you start getting lawsuits over these issues it really gets expensive oh absolutely oh i mean don't even talk about that now we have thousands and thousands of dollars and on the other hand i mean if you do the uh, maintenance uh, correctly right i mean you like i said you maintain the equipment you don't have to repair the equipment and uh, you know what is going on. You can do preventive medicine and preventive uh, 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 work on those and uh, really save a client uh, money. On the Conyers bill, boy, this is going to be a tough one. You know, uh, it's almost like, uh, 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 don't, don't get me wrong, I'm all for it. I think there is a need for it. But it's almost like controlling dust in a house. It's going to be tough to to put this one in in such language that you don't get pushed into a corner. You know, I don't I don't think I want to have a guy come in front of my house and say, "Look, 
you live over here and you, know, you can argue the single family home and so on. And I said, look, I have to inspect your house right now, and you owe me $1,000 before I walk through the door. I have to inspect your house for mold just to make sure that everything is all right. Uh, like I said, I, 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 I am for some awareness of this, of the problem. There's no doubt about it. How you regulate it, I, I, and I have an opinion on just about everything. But this is him, and I guess I have one on this one too. <laughs> and this this is going to be a tough one. Let's put it that way. I'll say. Well, even if they could get some things standardized a little bit across the industry, that might help. Right. Better. So. Yeah. Well, let's go back. Uh, Glenn, did you have any follow-ups? Well, I, I've always called the Conyers bill uh, a bill that has something in it for everybody to love and something in it for everybody to hate. So, Dieter, I think you're right. That this, yeah. it's, a, it's a long uphill battle before this thing passes. All right. Well, let's, let's go back, Bob. I, I have one more ASHRAE question here. Actually, I've got a couple, but there's one I, I definitely wanted to get to. And this would be on ASHRAE 62.1, which is uh, ventilation for commercial construction are there any thoughts of changing this standard um, to help with energy savings, for instance, because of this, you know, energy crisis we're in, or maybe to incorporate some new technologies? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, standard 62.1 is ventilation for acceptable indoor air quality, and it is one of the ASHRAE's high visibility standards. There's about six standards, and we've talked about several of them today, that are very high visibility standards that at the board level ASHRAE keeps track of. And it's under continuous maintenance, so it's always changing. And there's this this tension, this, this ongoing tension between enough air to make sure that we have good indoor air quality, that we dilute contaminants as they concentrate or we we flush things out and yet we all recognize that bringing in air has a tremendous energy penalty so how much air is enough and this is what the 62 committee deals with constantly and uh, uh, there are a lot of things that we can bring in uh, certainly energy recovery wheels have been broadly used for over 10 years now and we're learning that they can make a big difference because they they take the they recover the energy from the outgoing air and, and put it into the incoming air. Kind of so, preheat or pre-cool that incoming air. Yes, uh, there are several other technologies that can do a lot. Uh, one of the criticisms that you may or may not think is valid that's often levied at ASHRAE is that we are over long to embrace new technologies, and uh, that's true. And uh, I think a lot of times it's because new technologies are exciting, but oftentimes you don't have the research to show that there's a cost benefit. And ASHRAE, when, when we incorporate something into a standard, we, are, we must prove that it is cost-effective cost of doing it is equal to or greater than, or the, the benefit from it is greater than the cost of putting it into effect. So a lot of times that makes us slow to adopt new things. Uh, 
Another standard along the same line that I think even has greater impact and is more dynamic is the 90.1 energy efficiency standard. Uh, this deals not only with HVAC system efficiency, but building envelope, uh, plug loads, lighting, uh, all the things that impact energy in a building, and is considered the bellwether standard for energy efficiency uh, in the U.S., but throughout the world. And again, this is a standing project committee. The standard is under continuous maintenance. And uh, the big thing that that standards committee has been working toward is, is reducing the uh, energy requirement of a new building by 30% from the baseline. Now they have a new objective that they're working toward, and that is the zero energy building. And uh, ASHRAE has accepted a commitment that by 2030, new buildings will be designed that require no energy input from the grid. Now, we look at that and we say we have no idea how we're going to do that. But I think we can go back 10 years and we never dreamed that we could lower the energy requirement of a new building by 30%, and we're, we're virtually at achieving that goal. So uh, great things happen when you embrace huge challenges. Bob, let me ask a quick question. ASHRAE 90.1, what, what year is the current version? What year was that finalized? Joe, I, I don't have that in front of me, and I don't remember, but that's kind of immaterial. Okay. Because on a continuous maintenance standard, uh, the year it was published is not as important as how many addendums have there been. I see. And literally, there have been dozens of addendums published to 90.1. Can so it is, it is a growing document uh, continuously. I see. And can you give we, some... We must have voted out eight or ten of them at the meeting in Chicago. Do you expect to see a, a, a revised version, including all of those in one document? I know when 62.1 came out, and I think it was 2007, with all those addendums included, it was so nice to see. Do you see something like that happening fairly soon? Yeah. We have to publish, uh, under the ANSI requirements, a new edition has to be published at least every five years. And... I know that we're not too far away from publishing a new, uh, totally uh, updated version of 90.1, and I don't know that date. Great. Okay, just to, wanted to get that clarified. All right, let's go back. Glenn, did you have any other questions you'd like to add? No, I'm going to go ahead and just let you guys finish this up and wrap out the show. Go okay. for it, Joe. Okay, great. I've got um, one more, and then what I'd like to do is go around the horn and wrap things up here. Bob, I didn't get to ASHRAE 62.2, which is the residential uh, ventilation, acceptable ventilation standard. And, you know, I had a question for you on this because it comes up in some of the courses we teach. 62.2 is a standard for residential ventilation, and it th there doesn't seem to be much of a push to have that adopted into code as, as opposed to ASHRAE 180. And can you tell us why that is? Well, uh, I think it's a parallel to what Glenn said about the Conyers bill. You know, it, it, there are a lot of good things in Standard 62, too. 
And I personally think that every homeowner ought to strive towards bringing their home into compliance with 62.2 for their own well-being. Having said that, this is the United States of America, and we're founded on individual freedom. And when somebody walks into my home and says, I'm from the government and I'm going to protect you from yourself, <laughs> uh, something in me says, that isn't right. I, I don't like that. And I think an awful lot of the people in this country feel exactly the same way. It's one thing to put code requirements into public buildings, where when I walk into that public building, I have no control over that. I'm, I'm, I'm praying that somebody is doing a good job of maintaining it or that it was well-designed and all that stuff and it was handled. Uh, and, and so I need the help of the public officials. I need the help of code officials and anybody else I can get. In my own home, I may need that help, but I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with being forced to accept that help. So I, I have real mixed emotions about 62.2 or 91.2 or any of those being brought into code. I, I, I'm, I'm not very comfortable with Big Brother telling me how to run my own personal space. That's a great. Uh, I, that's exactly what I needed to hear, Bob. That really helps me understand the issue a lot better, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners feel the same way. All right, we've got we're uh, just a little bit over here right now, but uh, let me do this if you don't mind, guys. I'd like to just give our sponsors one more thank you, Bob. Can you stick around for two minutes and get a final question in from everybody? Certainly. Thank you. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising informational available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. All right, let's go around the horn one time. Before we leave, Glenn, you've got to mention uh, an upcoming meeting that you and I, Bob, will all be at. Uh, let, me, let me give you just a minute to touch base on what's happening here at the end of February. All right. Uh, you know, I was actually going to ask Bob. I was going to say, Bob, if you, you, know, if you could recommend people, they said, hey, I, I want to learn from indoor quality from over 75 different speakers. I want to rub shoulders with over 1,000 of my peers. I want to visit a couple hundred booths, including one for BBJ. Where would you recommend they go from February 24th to 26th of this month? I would like them to go to the Fort Lorth Convention Center. I think it's going to be a very exciting time. And in addition to all the wonderful things you mentioned, Glenn, this is going to be the first ever conference where IAQA and the Air Conditioning Contractors Association co-locate. And so people who go to the conference and the exhibition have the opportunity to not only see the kinds of technical sessions and the kind of exhibitions that they've seen from the indoor environment industry, but also from the mechanical 
services industry. I think it's a tremendous opportunity, and it's a very, very rich learning opportunity. That's well, Bob, a, I, go ahead, I appreciate, appreciate those, those kind words. It, it is a great learning opportunity. The programs for both groups are phenomenal. We've been overwhelmed by with the, the support from, from the vendor community, with the economy the way it is. There are a lot of people who uh, were skeptical in the fall that this was going to come together as well as we'd hoped, but it really has. And then uh, on the, the side of the consultants and contractors in the industry, they are registering. They are signing up. Our hotel, hotel room blocks did get full. People are going to be there. So if you haven't made your plans, it's, it's not too late. You can still find a good room. Uh, we'll still take your registration form here at IAQA. So uh, think about it. If you haven't made those plans, come on out and join everybody. Very good. That's one one I, thing to add, Lynn, is there are a number of people from the international community that are coming to this conference, which is very interesting. It is interesting. And We've got in, India, Malaysia, uh, several other Dubai. countries. Dubai. Dubai, yep, the Middle East, several other so South America, so Brazilian contingent all coming in. So go to www.iaqa.com. You can get information on that. By the way, I just uh, found a dot org. I'm sorry. And uh, I just got a flight that was pretty inexpensive, so flights are still good. We've got some airfare wars going on and actually found a hotel room that was pretty inexpensive. So it's not too late, folks, if you want to get out to the IAQA conference. Before we go, let's get back to Dr. Dieter. Dieter, any, any final questions or comments? I, I love this show, Dieter, because, you know, this is something you and I have talked about so much, the fact that indoor environmental quality people really need to get on board with the air conditioning and heating refrigeration and air conditioning folks and get to understand that side of things a lot better. And, and I thought today was a good opportunity for our IEQ people to uh, get to learn a little bit more about what ASHRAE is up to in particular. Well, absolutely. And um, I'm a little bit disappointed, and I'm not up to date anymore, but even our, our universities, uh, you know, I was in the Graduate School of Public Health. We didn't touch upon many of the topics which we discussed today, even though they were very uh, important. I do not know, and I don't want to put anybody down. In fact, I hope somebody listens from a university and can give us a hint where we have maybe courses in industrial ventilation, uh, which a course I taught for 15 years at the University of Pittsburgh, there is nobody teaching that course anymore. They are gone. They are either dead or retired like me. I'm half dead and half retired. <laughs> well, so um, I, I, I think we have to uh, maybe take a couple of steps back and demand that in some of these programs that they have, what call it industrial hygiene, environmental health, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that we start teaching our young people again. When Bob and I are gone, we can't, you know, we can't bitch anymore <laughs> about the things that we are seeing. And uh, I think we really have to take a, a, a look at that. And you and I also know that we attended up uh, the, the meeting with um, uh, uh, Joe Stebrook, uh, where there are a lot of engineers and a lot of architects and a couple of guys with gray hair. You know, they say, my God, what I see today is awful. And, but the kids don't, you know, they don't teach it anymore. 
what we learned and what helped us to do what we are doing today was great, but we don't see it anymore. So I think, you know, you don't do everything on the computer and, 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 and everything on a website. I think uh, before you get your first calculator, I think you ought to be able to add four and four without a calculator. Well, Dieter, you and I are going to help with that. We're going to, we're working on a program with the University of West Florida, and um, we'll be right. talking a lot more about that in the future. But that's a great right. point. Bob, anything you'd like to add before we go? I'll tell you, Joe, there's so much more. We need to do another one of these shows. I don't know what else to say at this point in time, although I'll throw in one little tiny thing and uh, parallel to what we've been talking about. There's another place where indoor air quality is important, and I'm – liaison from the ASHRAE Standards Committee to a little committee called Standard 161 that deals with air quality on commercial aircraft. And it's something that not everybody's interested in, but those of us who spend a lot of time in the air are quite interested in it. So maybe we can talk about that at a future show. You know, Bob, I didn't get to that. I didn't get to the mechanical systems cleaning stuff. I definitely want to bring you back, and it's, it's kind of ironic, interesting you bring that up. We actually had someone text a question about that earlier and i just couldn't get to it but uh about the indoor air quality in air cabins um so we'll have to definitely come back together one of these days uh hopefully here in the next six months or so and continue this interview it's been great thank you much all right well thank you bob i just want to make sure that uh we thank, first of all, our wingman over here, Chris Boisel, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, uh, Bob Baker for joining us today, a fascinating show, Glenn Fellman for the IE Connections What's News, and, of course, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. I want to thank all of you. We had a nice uh, online group today. Downloads are strong. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.